Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Looking Glass Darkly with your host, Davis Skiro. My guest today is an incredibly talented musician. Music is something that has been a large part of my life from my earliest days. And I remember my dad sharing his record collection from like the 70s and early 80s. And it always been a part of my life. So when I have the opportunity to talk to a musician, especially one as talented as our guest today, Andreas, from the Electric Revival, I, it... I am always blown away with the the skill and the thought that goes into crafting a song from nothingness. Hearing about uh, how one approaches the blank page, so to speak, and how the the mode and the mood of putting together a song has evolved, and and how it continues to evolve with gain, gaining technology and the business as it adjusts, it's all very fascinating. And if you love music like I do, I think that you will can't help but be captivated by some of the behind the scenes on how it all comes together. Andreas was a, incredibly generous with his time. Uh, I really appreciated him him sharing so many insights. And so without further ado, let's get into some rock and roll. Our guest today, Andreas from Electric Revival, talking about music. So firstly, welcome and good morning. I know you played a gig last night, so it's probably a little on the early end for a rock star to be, to be up and doing a podcast. So I appreciate the time. Uh, what were you working on last night? So last night I was playing a wedding gig out in uh, Temecula, um, with a cover band I play with. Um, nice. And um, yeah, you know, uh, I do these kind of things on the side a little bit to like make some extra money. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I've been doing that over the past year or so, but I'm actually nice. going to start moving away from that now and refocus my energy on um, uh, my own band, Electric Revival. Nice. Which for anyone who hasn't heard your band, you're fantastic. Like a real true return to form. It feels like a rock band. And I'm at the point in my life where I'm starting to realize that I, I my affinity for music is kind of in a time capsule. It's, it's a little harder for me to get into newer stuff just because I'm at the age where I'm a little disconnected. But with your band, right away, there was a familiarity to it. But without it feeling derivative. Like it feels like a rock band born from the same places that some of the great rock bands that you love were born from, which feels rare nowadays. Is that kind of your experience? Do you feel like the people who are forming bands now, it's like, it's a different mindset than it would have been like 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. I kind of feel like that way. And by the way, thank you so much for the kind words. Um, But I mean, you know, I feel like a lot of bands now they're like, I, I get it. You know, they're trying to push new boundaries and do something original. And um, I don't know. For me, I don't feel like I need to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, I think that like I, go, I get out, you know, I, I watch a lot of local bands. Um, I feel like Electric Revival has a tendency to maybe sound a little more familiar, but I think it's mm-hmm. also in a way it's new in its own way too, because I can't say I'm hearing anyone out there that sounds like us um, musically or vocally. And I mean, I, I, I'll see bands that, you know, they sound like they might've been inspired by 
like maybe like an 80s band or a 70s band but you'll hear where the inspiration comes from very clearly right whilst uh i feel like when you listen to us you hear that the influences of led zeppelin or aerosmith or audio slave or whatever is there but it doesn't Mm -hmm. sound like the band you know what i mean yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. When I, uh, in my musical days, I was really more in like the uh, extreme metal and, and hardcore scene coming out of South Texas. And mm-hmm. I remember that there was always, any anytime we went to sit together to, to start a band, me and my mates, more often than not, there would always be someone who says, I want to sound like this band meets this band, mm-hmm. you know? And you heard that a lot, especially growing up in a small scene, like there you you could you could hear people's inspiration on their sleeve, like and, and oftentimes it really did just sound like you take band A and band B and you kind of jam it together. And and what I often found was that the bands that are influential aren't that different from one another. So it's like I don't know Guns and Roses and the Rolling Stones. It's like and you just sort of shove those two things together. And that forms the band. And of course, when you're, you know, I started playing music. Well, I started playing music when I was really, really young. But, mm. you know, when you're 19, 20 years old, it's it, whatever. It is what it is. But I'm sure like as you get older and as your your talent expands and as your influences expand and your songwriting ability expands, like there is something kind of magical about just landing, like sticking the landing if that makes sense. Like I always joke about this with food in Los Angeles, right? Yeah. Food in Los Angeles is fantastic, but they overcomplicate it always. <laughs> like, like you can't just get a burger in Los Angeles. It's got to be some like kimchi, truffle, like it's all fancy. And sometimes you just want something solid that just is great in its simplicity, great in its straightforwardness, great in its uh, lack of pretension. And just – and and when – and to your point earlier about how like you look around and you don't see a lot of bands like doing your sound, like in the absence of that, we find stuff that we really love. Like we're like, I love this because I just love straight up rock and roll. Like it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you sound like anyone. You just sound like a like if I just like it's 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 become a thing where like when you just go describe a band, it's like they're a neo pop. Uh, electron, you know, they're like you start adding in all these adjectives, but like just being a rock band, just just give me back that same sensation and feeling that you that you would imagine your parents would have gotten. Like I, I talked to my dad, my dad was a big fan of like, and my dad got me into music, and mm. you know he saw all the greats like in person, like Kiss and Led Zeppelin and all that stuff, and I try to imagine what it would be like to experience that. Yeah. Oh. In my lifetime. And it you know, and you, you get close and it's different, you know. But yeah. like when you can reintroduce that that sense of like raw energy that rock and roll just has this ability to provide, it's yeah. uh it, it stands out. And I think that you guys are on that track. And thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean some of the bands that, you know, I I love classic rock. That's like my mm-hmm. favorite kind of music. And there are a lot of really great bands coming out right now. I mean, the two biggest ones are obviously uh, Greta Van Fleet and Dirty mm-hmm. Honey. And with mm-hmm. Dirty Honey, I mean, they're from they're from like here, like South California, basically. But I, yeah, they're like the only band that has come out of L.A. in a long time that sounds that way, you know. Uh, but you have a lot of great bands coming out of like Nashville right now, 
with that right. kind of like but take dirty honey for example when i hear their songs and i love this band like it's one of my favorite bands but i can hear that they love acdc and aerosmith a lot right 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 um the singer kind of has that bon scott brian johnson steven tyler thing going on and Mm-hmm. Uh, the guitar player kind of sounds like uh, a combination between Joe Perry Slash and Jimmy Page and then mm-hmm. uh, yeah I mean and the looks match what they sound like and I mean they're just a great band but I, I guess with M- Electric Revival there's so many little things uh, I mean it's still like rock like you said mm-hmm. straight up rock and roll but then you have like uh lisa who plays the keyboards and uh mm-hmm. the hammond organ in the band and it kind of adds like a flair to it that i think is kind of original to our scene yeah because you don't really see a um a lot of bands out there right now like classic rock bands all of the new bands none of them have a keyboard player no it makes it feel bigger it makes it yeah. feel a little more stadium in in vibe like scope is larger yeah i mean and i think i think the reason why i we opted to go with having keyboards instead of a second guitar player is because I felt like that's been done a lot. And I mean, my yeah. favorite band of all time has two guitar players, which is Guns N' Roses, you know, and mm-hmm. Slash and Izzy played amazingly together. And they, and I try to, um, when we write songs, I try to make sure that Lisa kind of does what Izzy would have done, but on the keyboard mm-hmm. instead. Like, it, it, mm-hmm. it would be like a, an alternative med, uh, melody or a riff to what I do. Sometimes she'll line up with me, but we try to kind of keep it different so that it adds, like, a color of what the song could have, you know? No, absolutely. Funny little aside about uh, Dirty Honey. Mm. Um, I worked with the singer, Mark, yeah. Years ago, well, it would it'd be about eleven years ago now, just over just over twelve years ago now. Yeah. Um, he used to work in locations on film. I don't know, maybe he still does. Oh, really? But but my very last, yeah, my very last job as a as a production coordinator, uh, right? It was we shot in L.A., but I hadn't moved here yet. I was still living in Texas, coming back and forth. Mm. Me and the singer for Dirty Honey, Mark LaBelle. Uh, Mark was an assistant location manager on this little 500k shoot that I did called breaking the girls. And I remember back then he was like, yeah, I, I can sing. I'm like, I can, I could do sing or I do, I sing in a band or something. And people were like, Oh yeah, cool. And then, you know, like when you meet a coworker who actually has a, a really great voice, you're like, Oh wow, you really can sing. Cause you, know, yeah. you hear that a million times, but uh, just a short little uh, six degrees of separation. I've actually worked with, and then, and you know, then I'm, I think I'm still Facebook friends with him. So like I've progressively seen his band, like, grow and become kind of a big deal and i don't even know if he would remember me now but like you know it's it's just interesting to see that like see that progression of someone who was just kind of trying to get that off the ground in 2012 no yeah uh no not even 2012 2011 the end of 2011 yeah so it's been a while yeah i've seen videos of when he and john Otto were playing like back in like 2011 2012 and they were playing at the house of blues here on sunset when it still existed yeah and funny about that i actually met mark labelle and the bass player julian smolian at kibitz room at Cantor's the other day mm-hmm. I-, I was pretty drunk <laughs> <laughs> so but then even when i'm drunk i'm still a very shy person 
mm-hmm. with new people that I don't know, and especially if it's someone that you look up to because you you appreciate their talent, you know. Yeah. So my I had to have my friend introduce me, but then Mark was super cool, and we were talking for a bit, and um, um, I think he was like he made a joke because I was wearing like that glittery jacket that I have. Yeah. And he was like, look at this fucking guy. He's like trying to outshine me with his jacket or something like that. <laughs> and I was like, bro, you can ha- you can try it if you want. And he was like, I don't want to try your fucking jacket, man. <laughs> That's fun you know? little ribbon. Yeah, well, uh, he, it was cool. That's really cool. That's cool. That's, and, it's, and it's great that, that people in the in the LA rock scene seem to get along really well. I want to take it back though, because uh, you know, you 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 laid out some of your influences, Guns N' Roses being one of the one of the top ones. But like, what? When did you get into music? Like, because because I don't know if people are picking up on the accent. Like, you're not from Los Angeles, not even no. from the states. Like, you've your journey to where you're at now is is a, a literal long one. So, like, kind of how did you get your start in music, and 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 what got you sort of fascinated with the idea of being a musician? So. I grew up in Sweden, and I'm trying to hide my accent as best as I can. It's, it's great. I, yeah, don't hide it. It's awesome. I yeah. love it. Uh, I I can talk like I'm from Sweden, and then we can get along really great. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but um, so I I when I was about to turn 14, uh, I had just been like, so in Sweden, you can go around with like this is a thing for kids you walk around with like a um like a a little booklet of things that you can sell every christmas oh yeah oh yeah um, yeah we had something like that too oh yeah cool so and then if you sell for enough stuff you know if you sell for enough profit then you get to choose a couple of things that they will send you mm-hmm. uh so i chose i sold for like maybe like a thousand dollars worth of products from that magazine and I wanted a PlayStation 2 and because I'm old. I'm not as old yeah. as some people, but a PlayStation 2 is pretty old at this point. Let's be very real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, uh, I won a Guitar Hero, uh, Guitar Hero 3 Legends of Rock, I think it was. And nice. um, I started playing that and got really into it. And then I heard Guns Rose's song, Welcome to the Jungle, on this uh, game and I got so obsessed with it and the way that Slash looked like even as a character in that game yeah, he just looked so cool and I was very like imaginative as a kid so I liked dressing up as people I looked up to like mm-hmm. I used to dress this is like geeky but I used to dress up as, dress up as Legolas or Harry Potter nice. or whatever yeah, so yeah. Um, I got so inspired by that and I was like you know maybe I should learn how to play this for real on a guitar because my mom plays a little like basic like campfire guitar you know and Mm -hmm, she had a mm -hmm. acoustic guitar so that was my start and my mom taught me like you know like my first like four or five chords like you know and um that kind of set me off on this like journey of like wanting to become a a rock star and um and that's where my goal is at the end of the line you know i'm i'm devoting my life to being a successful musician who is recognized all over the world that's that's my goal you know i mean it sounds to some people it will sound arrogant but i mean that's where i want to be and you know i only live once so why should i not go for that you know 
Exactly. And I think that sometimes, especially in modern sensibility, there seems to be this idea that um, your dreams and your aspirations should be sort of coded in utilitarianism, right? Like be realistic. I remember my mom, you know, she was trying to give me good advice and it actually was good advice, but at the time I didn't hear it in the way that she intended. I had this, um, it must've been in my mid twenties and I was working in retail at the time before I got into film. I felt really dissatisfied. I just felt very uh, dissatisfied with my station in life and my connection with society and just, just feeling on the outs. And I, what I learned years later is I'm never going to not feel that way. It's just sort of there are certain people that always kind of feel like they're on the fringes of society. And mm. and those are people I oftentimes get along with. That's where the artists and the freaks and the weirdos hang out. And I'm quite comfortable with that. But at the time, even in my mid-20s, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to reconcile this. Mm. And she told me, you know, she was like, you know, not everyone has to be special. You know, some people just are working class folks. And like at the time I took such offense. I was like, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to prove you wrong. I am special. And it's funny because, you know, I've since that time I've gone on to, I played in bands and I, I uh, got into film and I, and I've actually, uh, again, another weird six degrees of separation. The company, when I used to work in-house at a production company, um, they had a music division. Mm. for a while at the early early stages of me being there yeah and one of the talents that they managed was slash and i yeah and i kind of have a general because especially now they live in los angeles i have a general rule that if i see a celebrity i just kind of leave them be number Mm. one because i've i've had the luxury of being friends with people with some notoriety or celebrity and so i know kind of the downside of it. Like I've been hanging with a friend when like, you've got to stop every 10 seconds because someone wants a photo or an autograph or something like that. So as a general rule, I treat everyone like they're just homies. And if I just see a celebrity, I don't know. I'd usually just leave them be right. Unless there's a need to talk to them, but slash is slash all the time. Yeah. Like he'd, he'd be in a meeting in the conference room. And then uh, we had this one little sort of general area where like people would get coffee and cereal and what have you. And sometimes he'd be in there just backwards, baseball hat, like long, you know, the the famous like slash curl, like he looks like slash. He looks, I mean, the guy just is never off. He's just always on. He's the character. (laughs) He is, he is. And there's a little bit of that that I feel has been missing from music in a lot, in a big way. And to me, it kind of started with like grunge. The grunge was the music that was really popular when I was coming of age. And you really saw that even though the the, the aesthetic was really stripped down, the music wasn't. I mean, you yeah. you can't listen to Soundgarden and say that that was like stripped down music or or my favorite band of that era and one of my favorite bands of all time, Stone Temple Pilots, is definitely not contained to like a three chord song, right? No, no, they're not. But what I noticed from that era onward is that within the world of rock, outside of like maybe new metal like there seems to be this 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 sort of aversion to trying to be a rock star like an aversion to trying to be big an aversion to like have aspirations for selling out stadiums and playing for like large crowds which seems so counterintuitive because you're putting all this effort and work in to to developing a craft and creating art that's enjoyable but you want to put these arbitrary limits on it because of something and I've never quite understood that. So it's really refreshing to hear someone say like, yeah, I want to be the biggest rock star in the world. Like that's my dream and I'll, I'll shoot for the stars and hit the moon if that, if that's what it comes. But like I will always aspire for greatness. And I think that's yeah. really 
uh, uplifting and, and inspiring. I mean, yeah, but I mean, so I've gotten really into like manifestation mm-hmm. <laughs> over the past six months uh, after reading a book, and my wife is really into like that stuff. And which book was it? Uh, You're a badass by Jens Chinsero. And okay, that's uh, it's been a huge help to me actually. And if you want something and you want to have a certain lifestyle and you want to be somewhere in your career, you have to almost think in past past time like I already am this or I already did this right. to make sure that that's going to happen to you and get to where you want to be. And I mean, if I just go around saying like, oh, if I get there. Then right. I will never get there. It's you have to think like I'm already there, baby, or uh, you know, like you have to be like I, I will do this, right? You know, because if you don't have uh, that mindset and you're always shying away from what you desire because you want to not feel I don't know like arrogant and like you're you're asking too much of the universe, then. I don't know. I, I feel like you're not going to get there. You need to want it and feel yeah. that you deserve to have it to get it, you know? Well, there's also there's also virtue in being willing to fall on your face. The people who yeah. succeed are the people who have stumbled. I, I remember the very first time I became a manager in retail, my boss was like, I know you're I know you've got the skill to be a manager because I wouldn't be promoting you otherwise. He's like, but I won't really know if you're a manager. Until the first time you fuck up, the first time you fall on your face is when I'll really know if you got the if you have the skill for this or not, right? Yeah. And I think the same thing happens when when you're when you're trying to manifest your own destiny, when you're trying to like proclaim to the, the universe that it's not a matter of if but is. Like yeah. you 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 put yourself up and available for criticism and for and for critique and for um, naysayers and and doubters and and haters and especially in this more online kind of world that we're living in. But no one ever accomplished that, like being weary of those things. It's like that fortune favors the bold. And uh, there's a there's a famous musician uh, magician named Aleister Crowley. Most people know him in the metal scene because Ozzy did a song about him. He has a quote. He has, he has a view of what we're talking about here, which is um, your true will, like your purpose, what you were sort of manifested into this reality, What, why, what the intention is. Everyone has a different will and everyone's will is very unique to them and it's, it is your place in the world. And the quote goes, a man who is doing his true will has the inertia of the universe to assist him. Mm. And I, and I always really like that quote because when you go out there and you say like, I am this, then the universe will conspire to make that a reality. And yeah. it will be a reality from the second you say it, from the, the way that you carry yourself and the way that you present yourself and the way you approach your art and the way you approach crafting a song and everything gets fed into that one thing. Yeah, and so whether the, the 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 accolades or the acclaim come, it doesn't even matter because you're already you're already living that manifestation just in the craftsmanship and the work and the artistry of what you're doing. Yeah, so very very true. Yeah, um, you know, and I'm sure that you know. I mean, take take Mark for example. Like mm-hmm. he's probably about your age now, and yep. it took him almost ten years of playing with that guitar player to yeah. get to where they wanted to be but now they are there 
it takes right. time to build that and you have to want it um and he developed a skill for doing what he does you know i mean he has a great voice like undeniably but i i think i've also heard that he's actually quite a genius with the business side of things too oh nice and he probably learned that while he was working in the movie movie business and even maybe well even do. the music business i don't know but you know there's there definitely seems to be some parallels that you can draw you know yeah. uh if nothing else just navigating sharks yeah you know you definitely learn that in film it's just inevitable so like yeah. and for him who was working locations he's negotiating with different properties and for access you know there's a there's a skill set you learn in in approaching someone and saying hey can we run 200 crew members through your location promise we won't fuck it up yeah you know it's like so it's not likely he, but he knows the art of negotiation which is super valuable when you're a musician i mean most yeah. musicians are maybe great at playing their instrument but they're horrible at negotiation and that's why they don't make any money right. guilty as charged right here by the way i mean i'm learning how to be more ne negotiable because i want to make money from playing my music that's why i'm yeah. gonna stop doing the cover stuff and focus on electric revival right what um what what is some of the because I, this is something that I I was not aware of because again I kind of really once I got hardcore into film it was really hard for me to ever really play music on any consistent basis like I I think I tried to start a band in the vein of like Queens of the Stone Age around 2012 maybe mm -hmm. and you know when when half your band is uh or actually the whole band was filled, was composed of people who worked in film mm -hmm. and every other week someone's on a gig somewhere in the world like it's real hard to practice. And so I kind of realized that that was the kind of expression that was only going to be able to be done like in short bursts or like, you know, experimental stuff and what have you. But um, since all my music playing experience was based in South Texas, where, you know, Corpus Christi, where I was born, is like there's nothing to do but meth and get someone pregnant. And so like <laughs> – just being honest or join a gang, I guess, you know, it's a, it's, it's just a town that doesn't have a lot of aspiration. Yeah. And, um, you know, like there was touches of fame, like, like one of the guitarists who's, a, he's a big producer now, um, who played in nine inch nails, like graduated from my high school, like 10 years before me. Um, Selena, the Tejano singer was from my hometown or rise to my hometown, but everyone there in the music scene in the punk rock scene, the hardcore scene, it's because we didn't have anything else to do. Like, you yeah. know, either do that or meth. I mean, there wasn't really a lot of, we had to occupy our time somehow. Yeah. When I came to Los Angeles, I realized that the, the dynamics of playing music in Los Angeles are completely different. Oh yeah. yeah. Like what are some, like, did you have bands in Sweden? And like, what was the, yeah. not so, just a shock, but like the musical culture shock. It, it, it was certainly a big, musical culture shock in terms of how the scene worked because when i was playing with my bands in sweden it was quite easy to um i i don't know how to explain it but like take yourself really like up there quicker yeah uh because my last band in sweden uh which was called yardstones um we started playing together in 2013 and mm -hmm. by 2015, uh, we were playing one of the biggest rock festivals in in Europe, and we mm. opened basically for Slash and Motley Crue and Def Leppard at that festival because wow, they were playing right incredible. before 
Yeah. And to go from like playing youth centers to doing that in two years, it's quite like the accomplishment. But yeah. here it's definitely, it's so much more competitive because in Sweden, musicians help each other out to get to reach their goals in a way we're more honest we uh, if we know something that someone else might you know be able to use then we'll give them that information or whatever but here i feel like especially in the rock scene probably because it's such a small scene and because it's so highly competitive uh, everyone wants the same thing i think that people withhold information they um tend to not try to help each other out maybe like to get in touch with bookers or talent agents or uh, talent managers you know like i think that if the rock scene was more like in sweden where we kind of have each other's back i think that there would be more successful rock musicians in la and the scene might even be bigger but i think because of the highly competitive behavior of people here it kind of eventually pushes a lot of people away and maybe that's why they end up moving back home where they came from or give up on music and focus on a different career or something like that and they don't really go for what they want i mean and that's something i've noticed here um i'm not trying to give anyone shit or anything like that i'm i'm all about you know like helping each other out and you know creating more of a community where we can be friends and just help each other out and just try our best to like push it market each other and help each other achieve our our goals and our our dreams you know it's i think that would be yeah yeah it's funny that i i was literally last night talking to a friend uh about a different field um but we were talking about the exact same thing about and it's 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 like i said it's not just music it's not just film it's not just media it's like they're I think culturally right now we're in a place where people are really obsessed um, or fixated with scarcity and the Mm. threat of scarcity. And so, and perhaps LA is unique in that um, the people who are here aren't from here largely, No, you know, like in my hometown, uh, all my mates are from my hometown. And so we have a, we have a shared culture. We have a shared experience. We have a shared upbringing. People often think that that culture is like, is like grouped by race, but it's really not. It's really grouped by location. Yeah. Truly, you know, true. And, um, and so you, there's, there's common sensibilities and there is that semblance of everyone lifting each other up. Like I have this, there's this terrible YouTube video that one of our, uh, you know, friend bands posted of us playing my old band playing. And um, it's ridiculous. Like the crowd, like we were playing in a, in a deli. We convinced this deli called honeybee hams to let us play shows there. And the, the manager was like this raver dude who also threw raves there sometimes. And he was like, just into it. Like not the kind of guy that you would imagine being into like this, like Swedish death metal type, hardcore band yeah and you know he had like tracky dax like adidas and like a backwards kango hat like you know this was the early 2000s but everyone in that town because again like what are your options everyone was like that everyone watched each other's band you know if your string broke someone had you like people were giving each other rides we all end up at denny's afterward like for us playing music was the way that we kept in touch yeah and how we socialize and how we built and formed and maintained a community. 
in Los Angeles, like I'm from Texas, you're from Sweden, so-and-so is from Australia, so-and-so is from, you know, like everyone's from everywhere. Yeah. And and so I think sometimes maybe it's a little a little harder in some regard to form that same sort of all for one, one for all, when the city itself sort of promotes this idea of that like, you know, they're dangling the, the brass ring, but only for a select few, which is yeah. not true, I don't think. I agree with you. I think that if people work together, all you know, rising tides rise all ships, you know. I but so, yeah. it's a it's a tricky mindset to get people to kind of understand and it's a weird thing too because i'm sure you've noticed like anytime you've probably been to a party for the for people who don't live in los angeles if you go to a party or any social gathering in los angeles guaranteed you're going to be introduced or quickly asked what you do for a living it's just what happens you know here's dave he's a producer here's andreas he's a musician here's a it's just what people do and so i think that um and again, it, there are pockets where it finds, but like when you can find folks who do ha- share the same mindset, they share the same mindset of like, hey, I'm not just trying to get something from someone or seeing how I can use this connection to further my own career, or my own aspirations, but really in, in the true sense of like commune, try to assist people for the sake of just assisting them, knowing that, you know, just like, and form real, real like sincere bonds. Yeah. And I think that if the, scene can continue to grow in that direction or if a subsection within the scene can grow then i think people will start to see the benefit of of really bonding together and not letting the sort of the institution of it all sort of dictate how every keeping everyone in their little silos and pockets yeah no and i agree with you and that's the that's the funny thing like i tend to seek out people like that where um i think all of my friends are people that I feel like they're genuine. They don't want anything from me other than just being my friend. Yeah. And uh, I, if more of, yeah, like you said, more of the community was like that, even though it's hard because like you said, they, they dangled the trophy above your head and make you want to like elbow each other to get first right. to the finish line, you know? But uh, I think if everyone was more like, buddies and just like oh hey this is andreas um he's placing a cool band and you guys probably have this in common and like you know and you get like a more proper introduction to each other it would be better i mean because i like i like you said like i've had that like oh this is my buddy andreas he plays guitar yeah and then they're like oh yeah okay well kind of music do you play and then it's like it becomes almost awkward because you put on the spot in a way and you try to make a good impression on this person because maybe they are someone but and there's always that little tinge of like maybe we could cooperate and do something together you know or uh, something like that but uh, I, I just feel like it's such an awkward way of getting to know a person i think it would be better yeah. if i don't know like hang out and just fucking grab a couple of beers and let's i don't know let's uh have fun and then talk about careers later and then oh oh okay so you do like music production that's cool i play music i play in a band yeah Af- it's more organic that way yeah maybe i mean but you know i have a very 
Swedish mentality. So, <laughs> but I, it sounds well, kind of like Corpus Christi has a similar mentality too. Actually, well, I think I think smaller areas tend to, you yeah. know, because like I don't I don't know what Sweden's like. Obviously, I've never been there, but like you know, where I'm from, there's just like no one has any perception that they're from somewhere cool. Mm. Like no one in Corpus thinks that they've made it. You know what I'm saying? Like we know we haven't made it. Living a shit town. I mean, not that Corpus is a shit town, but you know what I'm saying. It's it, when you're a teenager, that's what it feels like. When you're, you know, in your early 20s, that's what it feels like. You feel like you're trapped, yeah. and so everyone knows like you're trying to claw your way out. But then, even when I moved to Austin, it was started a little bit, a little bit different because mm. Austin was a cool town, yeah. you know. And if you were the big band in, in Austin, that was kind of an accomplishment. If you had a big band in Corpus, like we were the big band in Corpus. Like yeah. we opened for Darkest Hour. That was like our biggest accomplishment. And uh, Thomas Lindbergh from from At the Gates. Like that. That's that's that. That'll be that's my like um, Al Bundy story that I'll tell like for when I'm in my 60s. Yeah, at the height of my musical accomplishment. But it doesn't really make a big difference. Like it does, no one, no one gets a big head about that. Uh, but as you start moving to bigger and bigger cities where they are cultural hubs, it does get a little harder to do yeah. that. You know, and I think that's why. But that being said, like when I meet people like you and, and some of my other friends, there's such a desire for like a true like scene, like a true fr- like bond of friends that, yeah. you know, do a bunch of creative stuff. And like, you know, then I find that the collaborations are far more organic, far more willing and most importantly, fun. It's just yeah. fun to get together and to be around your creative friends and be like, what are you working on? Not because you're trying to like angle in like, how can I work this to my benefit? But legitimately because you're just in awe that the people around you that you're sharing a beer with yeah. are like so goddamn talented. Yeah. You know, like yeah. one of the reasons why I started this podcast was because I was like, I don't really have to do anything crazy reaching out to strangers. I can just hit my friends up. They all have really interesting stories and they're just my my buddies and and we can share with the broader world, right? And yeah. people can find out like all this cool stuff that I know just from hanging out, right? And and I think that I think that that is a desire that people have, and I think that there are people that will be attracted to it. They just need to see it more. They just need to see that it's possible, and then and then they'll be drawn to it. Because that's always been my goal: is like be a part of something that is organic and fun and uh, reaffirming and supportive. You know, because that again, like you said earlier, like we have one life. Like, why wouldn't you want to live in that kind of community? Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um... And, you know, I really, I, I think that this podcast is a great idea. I, mean, I just want to say yeah, that first of you. all. Yeah. Appreciate that. Uh, well, you know, um, sorry, I'm, I'm brain farting right now. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's what, I was going to ask you, do yeah. you, because um, I, even though I played music, um, I've never been a songwriter. What I was good at. Even even more than playing bass, honestly, um, yeah. I was very much a punk rock bassist. But like, what I was good at is sitting back. It's, it's what I'm doing now, right? As a as yeah. a, in a filmmaker, like I'm able to step back and be like, "Oh, that's cool." But what if like, and just be like the tweak the the, the tweaking guy, right? Like my guitarist, uh, like my friend Jason would would bring a riff in, and I'd be like, "That's really cool." Like, let me add this little bass. What if you pause it? You know, and and that kind of more abstract yeah. structuring is what I kind of feel like my strength is, and. I find that that translated right into film, right? Where like I'm able yeah. to say, "Hey, you know," but I'm always fascinated with the with the blank page, so to speak. Yeah, like picking your guitar up, 
holding in your hands and hitting that first chord and how that one chord becomes a full-fledged song. Like what's what's your process with that? Like how does that manifest or do you even think about it now? Um, so this kind of correlates to what I was brain farting on and now you reminded me. Uh, so like go. Serendipity. I'm going to go, go with first answering the previous thing is like yep. where you were talking like so whenever I listen to my friend's stuff and they'll, they'll send me like demos or something like that, mm-hmm. I'll try to kind of like give my input in a creative way because I want to lift them up and I want to help them yeah. make their song better. So I think that that's a really beautiful thing about having a community too. So that's my yeah. answer to that last thing, which is really cool. And to this, like the songwriting thing is like, so in Electric Revival, I write all of the stuff um, and then I show them the stuff and like, hey, do you like this? Mm-hmm. And then we kind of like work it out from there. But like, I'll basically bring them a mostly like done demo. Um mm-hmm. Uh, where I'll I'll make like the drums, I'll make the keyboards, I'll record the bass and the guitar and the vocals, and I I'm always like trying to like say like, hey, can this be better in some way? Can this be the arrangement be different in a way? Because um, I mean, as an artist, it's like very difficult to like, I think kill your dar- darlings in a way. Yeah, uh, you 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 have this sense of like this is the way it's supposed to sound. And um, I think I, I try to be more and more self, like critical in that way. Like, mm-hmm. does this song really need this one minute long guitar solo, or should is there a way to shorten this to make it more sweet? Like yeah. in the way that the st- structure is, um, should the verse go into straight into the chorus instead of having a pre-chorus or an instrumental part in between should this bridge be as long as it is or should it be shorter um i mean so i have a lot of songs written for the for the band um that we're currently going through and we have like a lot recorded like with drums and everything uh and i just need to put down my voice but with the new stuff i mean I think on this next, the the third album, which is going to be, because we have the second album, like mm-hmm. sort of ready to go. On the third album, I kind of want it to be more like everyone chipping in like ideas and listening to the songs and be like, hey, this could be different or we could try this instead. And like, because I'd like to be more, um, yeah, like co- cooperating more on the songwriting instead of me just coming with, Hey, here's the song. Let's play it. You know, right? It's right. it's cool to come up with a riff and then bring that to everyone, and then like, oh, what can we make from this riff? You know, yeah. And did uh, you ever have a? Did you ever have like aspirations to do like an exile on Main Street kind of thing? Because I feel like every musician holds on to that idea of like your band going to some like uh, you know villa or you know house in the woods or something where you just like it's just like you your band your engineers your producer maybe and like you you do this sort of like on vacation sort of album building right where everyone lives in the same house and you just wake up and and you're there right you're in the studio at all times like have you first of all have you ever had a chance to do that and is that something that you kind of would want to do at some point so 
I have been trying to do that for the past three years with the band. <laughs> but, you know, it's a, it's an expense because you have to yeah. go out of town and people are missing work for it, maybe. And, you know, L.A. is expensive to live in, so they need the work to yeah. be able to live. So, but I guess in a way, I kind of did that back in Sweden with um, the guy I wrote a lot of the songs for the new album back. But mm-hmm. so fun fact is that some of the songs on the new coming Electric Revival album are actually like quite a few years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, but, and they were co-written with um, the guy that sings Bad Habit. Um, oh, nice. But so we sat in a studio for like three days and just hammered out like i think like 16 or 17 songs we would sit up to like four in the morning just recording coming up with ideas like tossing ideas back and forth he would play guitar on some tracks because i would have maybe my brain didn't want to pick up the material fast enough maybe at the time mm. mm-hmm. that's something i've developed since like being able to just play what i'm being shown um right. but yeah we would like sit and like toss ideas back i had like some demos and he was like okay this part is cool we need to scrap this part it needs to be different it doesn't work with my melody and then we would work like that and it was just like a very very like cooperative writing style i've never had a writing partner like that since and it was Mm -hmm. such a great experience to have that because it's fun to have someone to like toss ideas back and forth with and just like we were both able to play really good and like, like come up with like melody ideas and stuff like that. And it, it was, yeah, that's something I would really like to do again with someone and just yeah. like rent a, a like a little uh, villa or something up in Big Bear and go away for like a week and just write yeah. like ten songs or something. It sounds amazing, and it's 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 again, it's like. It is hard to kill your babies. It is. Like if you have a creative idea, it's really hard to get advice or criticism. And there's kind of an art to like knowing which criticism is worth taking and which criticism probably isn't. Yeah. But um but when you can get past that and you can and you can see the joy in the collaboration with someone like if I ever win the lottery, my dream was was to create Andy Warhol's Silver Factory. Mm. I when I was a, when I was a young twenty something year old late teen maybe I bought this I still I don't I think I gave it away so I got to buy a new one but I had this giant book on Andy Warhol's Silver Factory yeah. and we just go through all the various artists that came in through there you know and I always just thought that that was so fascinating this idea like this just this sort of studio space where yeah. uh, you know friends of of Andy could just show up and like work and collaborate and you know, bounce ideas off each other and be inspired by each other and push each other. Like another example is um, Picasso and uh, Diego Rivera, like the famous painters, like would send photographs of their work back and forth from Mexico to Spain just to get like advice and, and, and critique and a point of view. There's really something quite amazing in that. And it's, again, it's, it's a, it can be a fun experience. And even when you disagree you learn to work through those disagreements and you learn that also helps with the like accepting and giving of criticism when, when it's an in-person kind of dynamic. Yeah. Uh, and that's really important when you're in a band together, like you got to be able to give each other like a constructive feedback and it might not always be positive, but you have to learn how to accept it and improve yourself 
Um, and I think it's important to be able to take constructive criticism as a songwriter or in general to grow as a person or as a songwriter or as an artist, you know. Uh, I mean, imagine like you have Aerosmith going into the studio and they have, you know, like a songwriting team with them at this point because they've exhausted probably some of their ideas and songwriting and they're yeah. trying to go for like freshness but still be Aerosmith. So they bring right, with them right. like these writers, the, these ghost writers. And it, I, I think uh, it's just to have someone to toss ideas back and forth again, like me and that guy did. Um, yeah. Or like you and your friends, like, oh, here's this riff. Oh, okay. Well, what if you tried this and maybe try this instead? You know, like uh, maybe put like a break there, maybe go higher there or lower or, you know. Right. Um, or go to this chord. Um and I, yeah, I mean, I, my goal is to like, eventually that I'm, we're going to have a house and I'm going to build a studio in the garage is nice. the idea. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I don't have to spend money on recording at studios. Look then in I the can, valley, dude. Rent's way cheaper out here. <laughs> I, oh, I know. I know. But we, we, we want to buy a house. That's the goal. Yeah. And yeah. buying a house even in the valley is quite the, quite the feat. No, I know. I think I might have given up on on buying in Los Angeles. Really? I think I, yeah, I think I think. Well, because look, I'm I'm nearly 42 now, so like, the idea of taking on a 30 year loan, I'll be 72 if I pay that off. If I'm lucky, that's the rest of my life, you know. Yeah. So I think that on the short term, I'll probably stay renting unless something unless the market just gets real cheap or something and maybe try to save that money towards like a house in Australia for retirement or something. Dude, you and Jessica going there would be amazing for you guys, I think. Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention her name, but <laughs> yeah, I mention Jess all the time. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, is it hard? Is it hard being a, like singing and being the lead guitarist like at once? Because those are, that's hefty responsibility. Like you're really kind of commanding the audience there's that there's that scene in um in almost famous where jason lee's character is trying to describe what like a front person does and he's like i find that guy in the back and i that's not getting off and i get that guy off yeah you have to kind of play that dual role of like the mysterious lead guitarist and also the front person is that difficult in any way or does it, it just it feel natural because it's your songs and your expression it's actually extremely difficult. Um, <laughs> I'm, as you know, I'm originally a guitar player and yeah. I learned how to sing back in Very well, by the way. Thank you. Very well. That. Yeah. Uh, I had to learn how to sing because I couldn't find a singer. And yeah. I was, I had didn't have a band where I was playing my music with, and this is in 2019 when I was mm -hmm. here. So... I was like, you know, I'm so exhausted from not having any creative output of my own where I write the songs and I didn't have a band. I couldn't find a singer because you, if you can find a singer, it's easier to put together a band around that. But so right. I was like, you know, I'm just going to try and sing. Never having sung before. And I recorded our first EP on my own, basically with Lisa playing the keyboards. Um mm -hmm. I arranged her parts for her because uh, just like I had never sung, she'd never written her own keyboard parts for a rock song. So, right. and I never done that too, but I wrote her parts on like a guitar and asked like, does this make sense? Like in a 
But anyways, so it's really difficult to sing and play guitar at the same time. At I, I, so I have to like sit down, slow down everything, mm. and like build it, like find those little like rhythmic cues where I can throw in and i initially start like i don't even sing the song in pitch i just sing the rhythm of the melody so i can mm-hmm. get that in there playing while i play the guitar so i can find where the words align with the with the riffs because i don't play a lot of chords sometimes i'll play like a single note riff and singing and playing that at the same time is difficult in itself rhythmically right but also you know um and now with the songs that I co-wrote with my friend back in Sweden, and he's like an amazing singer. And he obviously, he didn't write these songs to be played and sung at the same time. He wrote them so he could stand there with a mic and just sing them and just be right. a badass singer. Now I have to play my guitar riffs that I wrote to just play guitar and sing at the same time at his difficult vocal melodies. And... It's hard to find the time to sit down and learn how to do each song because some of these songs are, I mean, they're classic rock, but they're like very like busy riffs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's it's sometimes I I find that (laughs) my strive for perfection is an uphill battle, but I think that's part of being an artist as well. But like for the new album that we're gonna release after the second album, I will be the one that probably writes the riffs again and writes my melodies around these riffs or I'll write right. a melody and write my riff around that melody. So I'm, I'm thinking that I'm going to try to um, not give myself such a hard time with it, <laughs> but yeah. like live also like I'm a naturally introverted person and looking people dead in the eye. It's, it's a, it, that's can at times be difficult for me. And now I have to be a front man and do that and try to engage with the crowd while I play guitar and sing at the same time and try to make them excited somehow while my hands are busy. Because usually a, a lead, a front man will like be able to point at people and like, you know, grab their microphone stand and like do awesome poses and stuff like that. But yeah. I'm, I'm playing guitar and I'm glued to a mic stand and I, I can I mean, I can shake my body a little bit <laughs> right <laughs> but you're kind of li- you're limited in some way but it, but in other ways like that th- sometimes those boxes can make you very unique it right can. i mean look at dave Rowe. yeah perfect example i was thinking also josh homie yeah. is another example of a guy who's a guitar player who kind of found himself singing and it gives everything a different vibe because of that limitation right yeah. whereas if you were just a guitar player you could have a different kind of freedom on your guitar. Whereas now you're a bit more conscientious of like working around a melody. And for people who don't know, and I'm, like I said, I've often on played music for years and I just truly understood how hard creating a melody is. I had a friend of mine send me a riff that I was trying to create before I, I had a series of bugs, which is why my voice is so raspy. But mm. like before I blew my voice out, I was trying to create a melody over it. And it's, I, I got stuck in a mindset and then I couldn't get out of it. And it wasn't working. Like I'd created this idea and I'd shown it to Jess. And she's like, I don't know. It's not really working. I think you should go f- something else. And I was like, I'm, because I'm because my background is as a bass player, I was just following the rhythm. And I was like, oh, right. I got to like 
do a different and it, just, and it was like so hard for me to get out of my head that yeah. I was like I can't listen to this track for a while I'm gonna go listen to other kind of music just to or, you know you know get the taste out of my mouth yeah. and then I'll come back to it hopefully with a different mindset and a different approach it's extraordinarily hard I have the utmost respect for singers who can figure this out because it adds so much and you think it's as simple as like just singing along to the guitar riff, but it's, it's absolutely not. It's yeah, a it's whole not. different instrument and a whole different, um, it, whatever that melody is should layer and complement, not mimic unless you're Aussie and then you can mimic all you want. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I think for me, I, I find, I think, and I think it's an experience thing for me, at least like I mm-hmm. have been singing for like basically three years mm-hmm. and, um, I'm getting better at writing melodies, but like, I think writing a song melody, a vocal melody, it's 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 a very difficult task because it has to be something that you relate to emotionally, but also that the crowd can relate to emotionally and sing along to, like where it's like uh, kind of like you know like you have like um, Paradise City. It's like it's mm-hmm. a very hooky kind of like it's a hook. Yeah. And sure, it's a very that mono that monotone vocal melody works for that song. But then you'll have like "Sweet Child of Mine," which is not monotone. It's a very, it's not intricate, but it's a very like it, it's a melody that grabs you. And it's kind of like the same with um, "Stairway to Heaven." It's also a very grasping yeah. vocal melody, and uh, you want to grasp the listener's attention uh, and not just sing along to the guitar riff, like you said. And that's very difficult when you play guitar at the same time too and um we have um once once in a while it will work like you will have um i know on slash's first solo album there's the song called by the sword Mm -hmm. and uh andrew stockdale from wolf mother sings on that song and he, he does an amazing job on the track but on the verses he's singing along to the guitar riff and it works for that song But it's not something you will find very often because often the singer will sing a counter melody or a root melody or something that kind of adds a color, a layer of colors to the song. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you mentioned um, Sweet Child of Mine. Yeah. And I was to to avoid doing something that people won't see because obviously we're only recording audio. Like, yeah. The guitar part, if you can imagine, is like choppy waves. It's not yeah. choppy, but it's like it's very kinetic. It's yeah. bam, bam, bam. Each note is like in, in quick succession. Whereas the vocal melody is more like long rolling waves. Yeah. And so Axel's like, he's again, I'm moving my hand, which people can't see, but if you can imagine like a conductor, like a- Axel's melody is like yeah. really drawn out and very flowy. And it's a complete timing, even though it's on time, it's a complete different structure than Slash is very constant note hitting. yeah like that yeah. yeah it's like very like it's like a very like constant pattern while Axel's like and yeah. then you have Issy at the same time going like which is very like staccato almost right yeah right layers of color with the drums and bass behind it too so it's it all adds very beautifully together, but and th- as a songwriter, it's it's hard to do that. Like, because you you think like uh, like 
oh well the guitarist doing this i'll also like fo- almost follow that that rhythm or something like that but maybe the best choice is to just hold out like three notes and just sing yeah. words under those notes but the other thing that that became very apparent to me this was years back but mm-hmm. um in my older hardcore bands, when everyone was screaming, you know, their vocal styling was a, was a, that screaming style. I, uh, especially for the first band I was in, but even for most of the second band that I was in, I wrote most of the lyrics. Yeah. Um, and because both of my singers, that was not their strong point. And uh, so it fell on me or the drummer to write the lyrics more often yeah. than not. Neither of us are singing. I mean, I might've done backup vocals. Like there's some recording of me somewhere where I'm doing like, I, I can't do it now because I've lost so much of my upper register, but mm. I'm screaming like Danny Filth, like the high end of Danny Filth in the background. That's about the extent of singing for that. So as I'm writing lyrics, I'm writing a poem. Yeah. Right? I don't have to breathe during any of this. <laughs> my singer does, you know? And I remember I wrote this super epic song. It was just so long. And I was so proud of it. And I handed it to him and he was like, I have to breathe during this, dude. Like I have to like yeah. find a way to shove all these words into, and you have maybe a little bit of luxury when you're, when you have a screaming vocal style because it's kind of muddled and distorted. Mm-hmm. But when you have a clean vocal style, it, that's really an important thing to work in your breaths and just less is more. It feels like oftentimes, and you can't, that's hard to get to when you're following a guitar rhythm, yeah. especially a, a more complex one. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And, you know, like I, I can now I, I find it more difficult to write lyrics actually than when I was younger. My first band was mm. called Sweet Ride and it was like an nice. 80s rock band kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I, I wrote the lyrics, but I didn't sing. I didn't know what the singer was going to do with those lyrics. So at right. times there would be too many words or they wouldn't add up in her vocal melody that she would write. So you know but now that i sing i realize these things and i'm like am i going to be able to throw in these words so i have to kind of adapt it and i often it's easier to sing something that rhymes actually because it flows mm-hmm. better in a way and yeah. uh it's easier to remember the words if they rhyme um i mean I, to some extent you should rhyme but i think that sometimes it's good to not write lyrics that rhyme too but yeah anyways um yeah it's it's very you have to fit these words into this melody that you came up with or you come up with a melody for the words and then you realize oh there's too many words i have to like try to say the same thing but with less words and that can sometimes be very difficult because you have to make that compromise is there a is there an an angle or approach by which you write your lyrics like beyond the melody like the actual content of it because you know like i think for most people when i was young a lot of my lyrics were uh very flowery i was very into like bold air and poe and you know Mm. little punk rock goth kid of course everything i write is like a soliloquy and a lot of it if i look back at it is probably about a, a girl right as a lot of you know, and that's that's not a, a a judgment because some of the best songs in the world are just songs about a guy missing a girl. Yeah. But as I've gotten older and got married, and you know, I ha- have a lot less drama as it comes to relationships and what have you. Like, it's a lot harder for me to write lyrics in that about a girl unless I'm it just it's, I'm in a different place in my life now. Yeah. So I, I think now for me, I whenever I write any kind of prose or poetry, I kind of look 
outside. I look exterior. I look at the world around me and try mm-hmm. to capture some of that. Like for you, um, like where does your inspiration from the word content come from? So usually when I write my lyrics um, on the first album we put out, it was all inspired by um, by my life at the point at that point in my mm. life you know um we have this song called uh, city of angels which original was called burn down hollywood but we renamed the song um and that was written in regards to like me seeing like a lot of people in la that were just like here like and maybe they had like parents paying for their apartment and they were right. just out doing like drugs and like getting wasted and like they were just getting everything handed to them and like so i wrote the lyrics like kind of like a distaste for that kind of like you know like you have it so easy while i felt like you know i i came here from nothing and i'm working my damnedest to like survive and like play my music at the same time and at the time you know when I had a daytime job. Uh, then I had a song uh, called Sun and Moon, which I wrote, you know, to my wife for her mm-hmm. 30th birthday. And that was like a love dictation or love expression. And then mm-hmm. I have this song called Pirate Brother, which I kind of wrote both about myself and Johnny Depp and like mm-hmm. the whole thing with Amber Heard. But it was mm-hmm. also about me and like uh, how I was bullied in like school when I was younger because mm-hmm. I was so imaginative. Then I have a song called Taste the Riches, which um, was like about how badly I was being treated by, by my boss and how I was fired and like how I, everyone comes to LA for like to taste the riches basically, you know, yeah. and like um, maybe they come from nothing like I did. I mean, so it's a, a lot of my lyrics on that album was very like autobiographical in a way or yeah yeah like and now like i still i think i still write a lot about like what i'm going through like um like i'm sure you saw my facebook like i've been dealing with like i was dealing with death anxiety for the longest time Mm -hmm. this year or this past year it's 2023 now it's crazy um Um, crazy flies uh, by but i wrote a song uh this fall uh and i named it coming home but basically the song is about like um the day i will die but it was like Mm -hmm. a way for me to cope with those feelings and get that energy out of me and uh i actually think the song came out really well i mean we're not gonna release it for a while but or if we will release it you know it might might get scrapped but it was just a way to get that off my chest and i think a lot of my songs are like that like i have something that i have to get out because um, I find it very difficult to write like, you know, like girls, girls, girls or something like that. Whereas like you're yeah. singing about being in a strip club. That's not really who I am as an artist. I have to write something that's like I have to get off my chest. Like, no. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and it, it, can, it, it helps. It's more personable and it helps you connect to the audience because the audience, there's some version of your life that the audience understands or yeah. has gone through directly. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you're right. There's something so funny story. The last band I was in that played a live show, I, I quit after the first show. <laughs> really? Why? Yeah. Well, uh, it was, it was, it was twofold. One, it was challenging for me to be in a band and being, uh, in film because at the time I was still living in Austin, mm-hmm. but I was coming out here 
to work on that project I met Mark at. And, and in 2011, I did like two bands back to, or sorry, two film projects back to back in Los Angeles. And I was out here for a long time. So it's like, you know, you could, this is, you know, in 2011, the technology is way lower than it is now. It's not like you could just send tracks back and forth or, you know, do everything digitally. So it was a lot more challenging in that regard. But the other thing was, is that, um, it was in my late twenties at the time. Hmm. And again, just, just like now my sensibilities are different. My sensibilities for lyrical content were already different then. And I was, I was listening to Queens of the Stone Age and Turbo Negro and, um, and T-Rex and, and glam era Bowie. And I just, I had this idea that I wanted to be, I just want to be a rock band, but like kind of an alternative rock band, you know? And I was, had moved past the sort of mopey emo lyric stage of my life. Mm. And I kind of wanted to write something a little sexier, not girls, 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 but like just sexier. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to, I have a more mature perspective on um, dating and relationships and, and, and sex and like all these things that are just uh, in, you know, me in my late twenties is just vastly different than me in my early twenties. Right. My understanding, my, my, my view on it, they've all uh, matured hopefully. And so that was my idea going into, it. I was like, Oh, I want this band to be like really sexy and kind of like soulful. And, and, but you know, that this is my mind, like, yeah, punky, like in the yeah. turbo Negro influence, but just sort of got some smoothness to it, you know? Yeah. And, um, and we found a singer and he wrote a song called, I want to rock, but my mommy won't let me. And, uh, I remember we played the show and they were just being goofballs on stage. I'm not a goofball on stage kind of guy. Like I just want to go play and, go home right yeah and i remember talking to my friends and he's like he's like dude you're almost 30 you want to rock but your mom won't let you i was like i know i know dude i don't i don't you know and i thought about it and i tried to guide the band in a more i don't want to say serious doesn't sound right but like in a less immature direction yeah and it was very clear the guys didn't they were they were perfectly fine being a goofball band and they Mm -hmm. were a band for like several years after i quit you know but I, at that point, was just like, I'm just not that guy. I w- I've never really been the goofy band guy, but I'm I'm definitely not as I'm nearing 30. And I'm certainly not now that I've passed 40, you yeah. know, like that. There's certain aspects of that you just leave behind and you try to create something that's more relevant to you at the moment and hopefully also relevant to the audience beyond like, haha, funny gag, funny joke, funny whatever, yeah. you know? And, and and when you can find that, when you can put yourself on the page, I think it kind of commands that attention from the yeah. audience in a way that like more frivolous lyrics might not give you. Yeah, and I agree with that. I mean, you know, when I was writing songs and the lyrics I wrote for my first band, you know, I yeah, I mean, I I think I've always been kind of like an like older inside but like even when i was in my teenage years because i had like old people say like aren't you a little too like old you think it too old of a way for your age right and uh i i was like that even lyrically but i mean of course i would try to like make it like glam rocky but you know we had a song called too young to die for example mm-hmm. um but i i think that you know and this is the thing with Electric Revival, like, I think I tried to push myself to be a little more, like, like uplifting and, like, positive. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the reality of it is that I am quite a 
I guess like serious person uh, naturally mm-hmm. I can I can be really funny and jokey when I need to be or when I I'm in the in like in the right circumstances but I think that it's kind of like I have to go out of my element to try and be a little more like young like mm-hmm. when I when I when we post to social media and stuff like that and try to be a little more hip because <laughs> maybe I'm I'm afraid that if I try to post like more seriously then people might think I'm boring you know yeah if I try yeah. to overshare like my thoughts and stuff like that and it's so, an interesting thing in the social media world because you do have to sort of craft an image not just on stage but like within what you share and, and I'm sure to some degree there's also a component of how much of yourself do you want to share like in, yeah. a, in a in a direct way it's one thing if you sort of bury a little bit of reality in your lyrics that are kind of composed in a way that it's like aesthetically and, and sonically pleasant to hear and yeah and thrilling and and then people can read it and they can relate to it. But like when you're, it, it, I, that's the one thing I've definitely felt. Cause I just feel like I want to share less of myself online. I want to be online a lot less, mm. you know? Yeah. But for a musician, when, when you've got to promote yourself, it's, you kind of have to do craft that it's a, it's an added element that probably didn't exist. Um, even really 10 years ago. No, you know? no, I, I definitely feel like it's changed over the past five, six years a lot. Like, incredibly much it's changed the way you have to write things and like um present yourself online so that but then i sometimes i feel like maybe people look i feel like the tiktok generation now a lot of them are striving more to find genuinity in things too and maybe this like made up social media personality maybe doesn't really fly with them because uh, if i've understood right a lot of gen c the younger gen c's not like they they want like genuinity they they want that's why like i I, i'll find like you know like gen c people with like hundreds of thousands of followers and i look at their pictures i'm like this picture looks like it was taken like at 2 a.m. in a really dirty bathroom and there's like <laughs> red light coming out of their eyes like they didn't even correct the eyes and like it just looks like they didn't give a fuck about what they were going to post but they post it and then maybe it's more relatable because it's more real like it's like it's like dirty and it's like not edited and like perfect for social media it's like more like yeah this is this is this situation or this is me and yeah. I feel like maybe people, the younger generation, they almost strive towards that genuinity of it all. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong on that. I, I think, it, and I don't think it's even just the younger generation. I think that, um, although I think that, I think that they're really leading a charge, and and they're going to reject a lot of the, um, the presentation that social media sort of incorporate that was incorporated into our lives as social media started becoming more prevalent. But I, I think it's you know like earlier when we were talking about community mm. and, you know, the scene and like forming a bond with genuine people. I think that you'll find that when, when you come across someone who's of that ilk, they get really excited by the prospect of it. Cause like we're thirsty for it. Yeah. Like we, 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 we have like this longing and this desire for authenticity and, and for rawness and for 
crudeness even at times and for something that just feels a lot more genuine and a lot more and a lot less uh whitewashed and and um sanitized you know and and i think that when people see that they get kind of sometimes people don't know how to react to it but i think in uh, in general people like oh that's that's that thing that i felt but i didn't really understand that i felt but i i now that i see it now that i'm exposed to it like i'm i appreciate the refreshedness of it yeah. Because it's not this prepackaged, perfectly crafted, perfectly adjusted, you know, photoshopped, like like image that's completely unattainable. It's like yeah. there's something more relatable about just being just sort of bleeding on the page, so to speak, and being authentically yourself. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Um and I appreciate that in some ways, but or yeah, I I appreciate that. Um and I, I think I kind of want to go towards that more, but um, I don't, I, I guess like my, some of my insecurities like shine through and like, I'm like, what if people don't like when I just sit and like talk more jet, like real or like yeah. say what, or if, maybe I say, um, like five times in two sentences because I am looking for the words that I want right. to say, um, right. which often happens whenever I do a video that I want to post, I have to cut out little like breaks and stuff like that. <laughs> and maybe I say, um, a lot. Yeah. I used to do that. I, I mean, if you listen to like earlier podcasts I've done, yeah. I used to, especially my very first podcast, Tired of Winning, I spent hours editing that stupid audio like every every awkward pause every mispronounced word every sort of flubbed whatever i used to spend painstaking time trying to clean it up and make everyone sound because you know we were all so brand new at it yeah and over the last few years um i mean i'm certainly listeners will say oh you constantly make mistakes still but like i just don't edit it out hardly any unless it's like very blatant you yeah. know, like uh, the other day, someone walked in in the middle of talking or a phone rang or something, and then, then I'll cut that out. But for the most part, I have found that the feedback that I get is that people kind of just appreciate that it feels real. Yeah, it feels like natural. Like, yeah, like I would like to believe that if you and I were not doing this podcast via the internet, that if you and I were just out at a bar having a beer, that we could have a very similar conversation. Yeah. And it wouldn't be very much different, right? And I think that there's something to capturing that. You know, capturing just like it's just you and me talking, just real, real honest yeah. conversation. It's different when you start looking at promotable images and like, you know, things that are like representing not just yourself, but also the other band members. I'm sure there's yeah. like that fine line that you've got to sort of toe between like what people expect, how it reflects on everyone else, how much you want to share and and ultimately getting the, the, the point across that you want to get across. It's it's it in itself is a new skill set that like artists and musicians as part of that kind of have to develop at some point. Yeah, and that specifically that with like getting your point across, I'm horrible at that because I tend to like get lost in my thoughts and then I just kind of blabber about. But honestly, first part of what you were saying, that's actually a, a great podcast idea too. Like going out to a bar and just drinking and talking. Oh, I love that. I would love that. The <laughs> that only thing. If I could find a bar that would let me do that, I would 100%. And I'd do video too because that'd be because that's really what it is. Because I remember like, you know, we were talking about Denny's earlier. Like in yeah. my hometown, the only late place that stayed open late 
especially for us at the time, most of us were straight edge. Most of us were vegan or vegetarian. Uh, and we're all a bunch of punk rock nerds, right? So like Denny's let us sit there and eat like and the bottomless fries and coffee, black coffee. Nice. And we'd sit there all night just shooting the shit and what have you. And that was kind of really the inspiration for that. And then, you know, as I grew older and I started drinking and, and things of that nature, like you're right, like that bar environment is perfect for that. It's like it's like uh, Jamarsh's uh, uh, cigarettes and coffee. Yeah. You know, just sort of capturing that reality of, of it and people sharing and being authentic and not needing to put a front up and just being – just being that thing that we all want and are needing, but are kind of afraid to ask for, which is like honesty. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, and that's one of the beautiful things that art can do is it can provide cover for our honesty that allows us to really expose ourselves in sort of a, a measured manner. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even that you could apply this idea to uh, your band too, or like whatever, like maybe you should go live and maybe you're just, hanging around talking and drinking beer at this live yeah, yeah. maybe can be like oh people you can join in and like drink too and like maybe we can like you know have someone call in and you can like talk on the live and shit like that but like that's a really fun yeah go no, ahead. i was gonna say that's a great that's a really great fun idea i was like i was been thinking i'm coming to the, the end of a season two for this podcast and yeah. i've been thinking of ways to adjust it for a season i never like to do the same thing like 33 episodes of like you know, I like to mix it up a little bit, yeah. and uh, that's a really great idea. I'm gonna, I'm gonna think about that. I, I, because I could drink and do a podcast. I can't smoke weed and do a podcast. I've discovered. No. Yeah. Like I've tried to do it a few times, and I'm sure I sounded like Keanu Reeves. Uh, God bless the guy. I'm a big fan, but still, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I think having a beer, having a Guinness, I could do that. I could do a podcast, yeah. and I think that would be that would come across well. <laughs> Dude, that would be really. Sweet. I'd be, I'd be down to do that actually. Like. Because I love Guineas too, so we could just like sit and oh, talk, yeah. and, like crack a couple of Guineas, and yeah, talk about everything. Now, everyone has an inspiration point. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you 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 got your guitar when you were fourteen, uh, or, or Guitar Hero at least, and yeah. and then that progressed from there. But like, was there? Do you remember like an album that you either bought yourself or that was super influential that that really was like you finding your own style of music because i i remember for me it was it was smashing pumpkins um infinite sadness that was the first album that i remember buying with my own money i i know that i got black back in black for christmas one year yeah and and i know that i got like the batman soundtrack and there was some there was like i was starting to to get bought stuff but like with my own cash Going to the record store when that still existed, uh, and buying a, and picking a CD out and buying it—that was Smashing Pumpkins for me, and that kind of set me on on a path. Like, do you remember what that album might have been for you? Yeah, I mean, and it, it's like I I told you earlier. So when I played Guitar Hero, I discovered like Guns and Roses. So not long after uh, I started playing guitar, and then I went and bought my first LP uh, vinyl. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was Appetite for Destruction. Nice. Uh, and I think one of my shortly after, like I, I bought Led Zeppelin too. And oh, nice. Yeah, you're so, off to a good start so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, then there's this Swedish band that you probably have never heard of, but they're called Electric Boys. Okay. And their third album, it's it's for me. That's probably as influential to me as appetite for destruction that's how 
that oh. album and they split up after that album in 94 <sighs> they they've reunited later on but that album it's just so brilliant and so good and that's probably almost more of an influence on how i write music today than appetite I mean, there are some of our songs that we're going to release where you'll hear like the Guns N' Roses influence, but mm-hmm. this, like the first EP of Electric Revival was heavily influenced by that Electric Boys album. And that's that type of like funky, heavy rock. Right. That, that's right, right, right. Yeah. So that was very influential when I bought that CD. Well, I had to buy it online because it was this long discontinued and everything, you know, and <laughs> Since they split up after that album, I imagine they didn't press too many CDs of that one. Right. Yeah. Well, it's 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 different, isn't it? Like you hear a track, you hear a single, mm. uh, like Welcome to the Jungle, for example, and you're like, what is that? What yeah. is that? It captured it. Because I remember that first time I heard that riff, I was like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. You know? Because at that time, when did, when did Appetite come out? 90? Uh, was 87. 80, was that was it that far back? Yeah, uh, user illusion really came out old. in ninety one. <laughs> yeah, I'm really old. Anyways, um, you know, like eighty. Okay, so eighty seven. I'm like, I'm, I'm six years old in eighty seven. So I'm still really young. Yeah, but I had an older uncle who would show me like a lot of like my dad would show me a lot of the classic rock stuff, and then my uncle Mike would show me like. Um, Metallica's, you know, Ride the Lightning or or whatever. And but hip hop and gangster rap was really popular around that. It was starting to become really popular around that time. Yeah. And 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 being a young Mexican lad from a town that kind of has a large gang population, like a lot of my peers were being drawn into that world of like hip hop and NWA and the chronic that came out a few years later, yeah. et cetera. But guns and specifically Welcome to Jungle was one of those tracks that I remember seeing and listening to and being like, what is this? This is different. It was. And then later on in a, in a different way, there was Green Day's Dookie. Yeah. And of course there was Nirvana's Smell Like Teen Spirit. And that yeah. really pulled me heavy into, at that point it was like pulling me, you know, head first into rock music as yeah. being sort of like my preferred genre. But when you buy the albums, there's always that like, that like deep cut, because it's just, yeah. it's a different experience, and I know it's probably something of a lost art for a lot of younger folks. But like in the olden days, you would only hear in one or two singles days. on the radio. Yeah, and yeah, back in the twentieth century, you yeah. only heard, you know, you only heard a, a single or two or three if the band was like really big, and you happen to catch it on MTV or the radio. You had no idea what the other like ten tracks were or any of that, and so it's kind of a crapshoot in a way. Yeah. And that kind of determined whether or not a band was kind of a one-hit wonder in your mind or if it was something you would deeply fall in love with. Like for yeah. me, listening to that Infinite Sadness, you know, Melancholy album, just, it's, it's, too, it's, a, it's a double album of just beautiful, beautiful music yeah. and heavy and dark and, you know, yeah, all I, those I, things. And I agree with that. And like, it, you know, when I first started uh, – I was so, so new to music, like listening to music at all. So mm-hmm. Appetite, when I got the whole album, um, you know, and Welcome to Jungle was my favorite track on the album. And then yeah. I really liked Paradise City because that was the second song I discovered by them, you know. 
I never was a big fan of Sweet Child, really, to be honest, mm-hmm. which is everyone's favorite track, it seems like. But then I started listening to Alba- the album, and I, I think I saw the Ritz concert before I bought the album. And mm-hmm. I had to like get used to the way they sounded live because you hear a studio track and it's like so good, right? But then you hear the band live and it's more raw. So you have to learn to appreciate the rawness of a live band too. Yeah. And Guns N' Roses was really raw at the Ritz. And Axel's sure. voice is a little shot, you know, but it's still like get that grindy, like raspy thing. But it's still like you can hear that he's been on the road for a bit and is singing a lot. But I had to learn how to kind of appreciate even the live version of Welcome to the Jungle first and then learn to appreciate the rest of the songs. And at the end of the day, like other than Appetite, I think that my two favorite tracks were like Mr. Brownstone and Rocket Queen. I was going to say Rocket Queen is probably my favorite off that yeah. album. That 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 song is unbelievably amazing, uh, and it's so well written. But it's I guess it's too long to be a single, so they couldn't do that. But I think it's often like a, a fan favorite, actually. And I, I think that, like you said, people don't do deep cuts as much anymore. But I think if you like a band enough, you should like yeah. um, buy albums. Uh, buy albums, or I mean, if you're into Spotify, then listen to the entire album while you're working or something, you know. Um, I I don't use Spotify personally because I think that they're defrauding the artists, but that's just my opinion. Yeah. Uh, no, you're not wrong. I, I still do because I still have, a, you know, I, I realize that I'm in a place where I'm, I'm sort of peeling away addictions yeah. and, and social media and, and Spotify and iTunes are kind of one of those things. Um, I still use it at convenience, but I found like a bunch of my old CDs yeah, and like I'm like I, they're just sitting here. These are great albums. Like I, I have a CD player in my car that I never use. Yeah, like, I'm just gonna get a little case. I'll put them in my car, and occasionally I'll listen to a CD or we buy vinyl. You know, the the vinyl the vinyl revival has been great because it's oh yeah allowed people to sort of like reinvest in a full album, not just you know their singles or or uh, playlist. You yeah. know, but really sit and listen to the album. I think that um, I think that we. Maybe it's just in my own mind, but in my in my mind, I believe that we're going to start seeing a, a return towards physical medium being purchased. And maybe it's going to still live in the world of collectors, but I yeah. think that, again, there's something magical about it being tangible in your hand. Yeah. And you value something more when you go and you buy it. Yeah. That's Even if it's used. True. Yeah. You know, when you go and select it and you pull it out, like I bought – um. No, was it never no uh unholy passion yeah. the sam hayne album and um at a local at a local you know used record store nearby in atwater village here near where i live and you know you pick it up and then it, every time i go to a record store like i find 50 albums that i would buy but i, yeah. I can't buy that find it responsibly fiscally responsibly it's i can't buy albums every every time i go to the record store so i have to so i give myself like a limit like i can buy two albums or three albums whatever yeah. whatever my arbitrary but when you when you pick it up and you're holding it and then you're looking at the the tracks and you're like wait a minute what about this album you know and like you have to make a decision when you make that decision there's an ownership behind it like it was between that and um what is it? Her Majesty's Service? Is that the Stones album? That might be and I was, one, yeah. Yeah. And, and and it was like, oh, which do I buy? But because I already owned um, uh, Initium 
and November Coming Fire, I was like, why? Well, if I buy this album, I'll complete the trilogy of, of Sam Hain albums. So that there's just more thought behind it. And therefore yeah. there's more value, I think. And I hope that we start seeing people kind of move in that direction, especially for the artists, just so that you can actually make money doing art that we all appreciate yeah. and enjoy and yeah. makes the world go round. Yep. That's true. Actually, um, in regards to that, the whole vinyl thing, I've been thinking about uh, when we, uh, so here's a little like secret is that we're um, re re mixing and mastering our first EP mm-hmm. uh, to give it a more like where the band is at now so that it kind of works with what's going to come Everything afterwards. Else. Yeah. Um, and I've been thinking about what if we were to put out like a limited amount of like vinyl for that, you know, like, Oh, cause, dude, cause I, n- I'll, I'm there. I'm, I'm the first purchase. Yeah. Uh, and like, I don't know if you saw this, but this is like a future, like, um, yeah, this is a future T-shirt that's coming out for the band, and the artwork is so good, and it's for the next single, which is going to be "Taste the Riches." Yeah, which, um, is that the uh, Metatron um, sigil behind there? You have like sacred geography going on in like uh, the background of that shirt. It's really for people who can't see it. It says "Taste the Riches" on top, and then it yeah. looks like it's it's. Um, uh, some sort of like either Metatron sigil or sacred geography. And there's like a wizard. It's very cool. It's a very kick-ass shirt. Thank you. Yeah, it's actually, um, these are the Zodiac signs around here. Okay. Um, and this, uh, I don't know how to explain this. Uh, I hired someone to do the artwork for us, obviously, because this mm-hmm. is really advanced. And it's, uh, so the song, I, I told him, you know, I want more of a, like kind of like that Victorian, like or an alchemist vibe, and yeah, uh, like uh, like a Led Zeppelin, Greta Van Fleet kind of artwork yeah. for this because we're starting to move more into like a seventies kind of sounding way, and I think that having a bit more of like fantasy involved works with that aspect of things, and so this shirt really came out really good i think and i can't wait till we uh can i like announce them and release them for people to get um you know um i really appreciate so this is gonna probably be where i think we're gonna release the the next single maybe as a limited amount of cds as well and mm-hmm. there is a there is a like an album art version of this too that's cool yeah, that's cool. No, I I love. It. That's the thing that's sort of a lost, become a little bit of a no pun intended, lost art, which is yeah. that that sort of the mysticism uh, that that the classic rock artists like you know obviously Jimmy Page being like the most notable of them. Yeah, but like to add a, a certain amount of fantasy and, and fantasticness, and to, again break out of utilitarian. Like I love grunge, but I don't you know like I don't need everything to be flannels and and cargo shorts. Like I yeah. want to suspend my reality a little bit and like go on a journey. And um, granted I was extraordinarily stoned at the time that I said this, but I, I was trying to convince Jess to like, let us create a blacklight room yeah. with like blacklight posters. Cause I was watching some video and I was like, Oh God, I forgot how cool those were. But I, there's that, that stuff's missing. And I feel like, I feel like a, a very minimum for some folks like me, it's nostalgia for other folks. It could be like a thing that they didn't grow up with. And so it's brand new to them and they get to re enjoy the stuff that we enjoyed yeah. because it's been so out of circulation for so long. It, it's brand new to them. And yeah. 
that's that sort of mystical sensibility is is a component of that that i think is really cool yeah i really agree with that and i i kind of like as you're saying that i kind of relate that to something that i like because i've been getting a lot into like old-fashioned stuff so like Mm -hmm. i really the the roaring 20s is like there's like a mysticism about it and you're like what what would it have been to be at like one of those parties and like you you get like so inspired by that and you're like kind of like yeah so it's it kind of correlates to like you know maybe they didn't have like the black light posters uh the new generation and and maybe they don't have like the mysticism because a lot of artists now they put out like a album and it will just be like the artists on the yeah picture you know and yeah there's nothing wrong with that but i like a good artwork you know yeah have you seen um babylon yet i just saw it it was so good would you you liked it i did too i loved it a lot of people didn't like it It didn't make a lot of money but fuck it was great i enjoyed Uh, the hell out of it early scenes oh my god i love those party scenes man yeah i thought it was a great movie It, it was really good um i was a little sad when the brad pitt character killed himself but spoiler yeah, alert spoilers <laughs> yeah spoilers but, but uh you didn't go see the theater so you know you get spoiled go see in the yeah. theater <laughs> go see um no it's great it's fantastic i love everything i love i love that y'all sort of creative direction i really do i love yeah. i love that all the things that you're interested in and that you want to do with your band is like very much lines up with stuff that i'm into mm-hmm. I mean, we have a lot of parallels anyway uh, aside from long hair, your your name is my middle name. We both really? have a tarot card tattoo. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. My middle name is Andrew. Oh yeah, yeah. And my name is Andreas. I, which yeah, which like which a, when I was in trouble growing up, my mom would call me Andres. So really, which is just the Spanish pronunciation. Oh yeah, mom mom calls me Andres all the time. Uh, uh, so I I answer that in the same way that I would just answer Andrew or Dave, right? Yeah. So when my mom was mad, it was you get you get like ah, Andres like was very common way yeah. of addressing me when in her exasperated tone but like uh you know you've got your tarot card tattoo i think on, no, that's op- opposite arm of mine but like in the same oh you have it on both arms yeah see i have yeah. it on my right arm which one so like have? i have the king of cups nice that's a good card that's a great yeah card. yeah yeah I so um and the, the hermit perfect brilliant yeah. love it i love how their their book ends as well of of, of a journey and i i i I'm really excited about about your journey and the journey of Electric Revival and and what you're going to create because everything that that as it has progressed and as it will go sounds super exciting and mm-hmm. and beyond that I just love hearing your perspective and I can't wait to get a drink with you in person because we just don't do that enough but uh, just for everyone who's like hearing this for the first time and they want to know where they can listen to your music where they can buy merch where they can see you live like just let them know where they can find all your cool stuff that you're doing absolutely so uh, if you go follow us online we are Electric Revival RNR on Facebook on Instagram we are Electric Revival Band and on TikTok we're Electric Revival Music you can find us on Spotify as Electric Revival we have the single bad habit up right now there's more to come very very soon we're working really hard on getting it out as soon as possible but plan it well and uh, you can go to our website electric revival music i believe it is dot com and there's a link there where you can get uh to our band merch website and we have shirts we have mugs we have hoodies up we have cds up so please go get those and uh i would appreciate if you listen to electric revival 
Yes, definitely do it. You're going to enjoy it. It's kick-ass rock music. It's music you didn't even know you missed, but you do once you hear it, once once the chords kick in, once you just feel the vibe, it's going to transport you to a, a time when uh, rock actually ruled the earth. And so I, I really appreciate your art, not just because we're friends, but because I, I'm really, truly inspired by it. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see what you guys do next. And I urge everyone to support it, uh, support local artists, more, support people with passion, support people who are putting their lives into creating something for the rest of us to enjoy and find ways to get the money. Cause that's what helps make bands exist. So other uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I, I really do appreciate it and um, can't wait to see all the cool stuff that comes out and let's go grab a Guinea soon. Let's do that soon. Thank you so much for having me, brother. I would like to thank Andreas once again for coming on the show and sharing his insights on what it's like to be a musician in Los Angeles and trying to revive a style of music. People talk about it all the time in articles and what have you, how rock and roll has sort of become, if not dead, secondary to hip hop and electronic music. But I do think that there are still plenty of folks who find it a very, very enticing and uh, engaging medium of music. And I love the fact that we have someone who uh, lives it and breathes it, has real aspirations come chat and share you know sort of pull the curtain back as to what their lifestyle is to try to be a musician i think that those of us who love art and love creating art of any sort be it music or writing or paintings or podcast or uh whatever it may be movies certainly um i think that it's we're, we're living in a time when it's been maybe harder than ever to you know, sustain oneself financially in, in with the technology that makes things easier has in many regards made it more difficult to spend the time concentration and, uh, and attention into creating great works of art. And yet it's always inspiring to hear someone who is undeterred by the difficulties mounted in front of them. And I think it should be inspiring to all of us that if there's something that you're passionate about, if there's something that you'd love, if you have some grand aspiration, climb that mountain, tackle it head on. There might be difficulties along the way. There's certainly going to be things that are going to be an uphill battle for you. But if you believe in it and if you love it, then the craftsmanship will develop. The artisanship will get stronger. Your artistic expression will resonate deeper. And whether it's for a hundred people, a million people, or one person, the amount and the way in which someone could touch someone else's life through their art is a an amazing aspect of living. I don't know that there's any other species that can really say that, that that's something that's created not for direct communication and not necessarily built around any sort of utilitarian need, but something that is purely created for the sake of being created having such an impact on our lives, being the soundtrack to our lives, uh, resonating with us as though it was a page torn from our, our diary, that is the power that art has. That's the power that music has. And so I really champion and salute Andreas and the rest of Electric Revival and all artists out there who are trying to create something despite the difficulties that our current age provides. I would love to believe that the generation that comes after millennials and even Zoomers are going to start looking at some of the ways that we're living and decide that art is valuable, that it does have worth. Perhaps we'll see a return to physical medium, CDs, even cassettes, like like we've seen with vinyl. I'm not an anti-technology person by any stretch of the imagination, but I do recognize how our current leisure and... um, 
convenient based technology does hamper the ability to create and sustain a career making art. And nevertheless, I believe in its importance. I believe in the sake of doing it for the sake of doing it. And it reminds me of the the Hemingway quote used by uh, Detective Somerset at the end of Seven when he quotes Hemingway and says, the world is a good place and worth fighting for. Somerset in the movie says, I agree with that last part. I agree that art, despite its difficulties, is worth creating. I think rock music has a way of touching people in a way that deserves its creation. And so please, I ask all of you, if you love art like I do, if you love music, if you love cinema, if you love books, reach out, support these artists like Andreas, like Electric Revival, like many of the artists that you've heard on this very podcast, support them directly with their merch or uh, buying physical medium or showing up to shows or even just spreading the word that is how we keep art important in our lives. So once again, thank you to Andreas and Electric Revival. And we're going to end our show with a little clip from one of their songs. So take a listen at the end of this podcast to get a sense of it and go support them. If I, if you can only find them on Spotify right away, sure, do that. But go subscribe to their socials. Keep tracking for when new releases are going to come out. Really Put your money where your mouth is. And if you believe that these art forms should continue to exist, it's up to us to support them to the best of our ability. Thank you all so much for supporting me and this podcast. Thank you for listening every week. I appreciate and love you all dearly. So until next time, gold rings on you all. Please stick around to listen to a little clip from Electric Revival. (laughs) 